Uh, we're going to start to wrap up this portion of our series, Exodus Journey. We are in the book of Leviticus, and today we're in chapter 19. We've looked at some very strange, bizarre, and heavy topics the last month or so, and today we get a more simple topic, which is really appropriate for the holiday that we're celebrating today, which is Father's Day. And where we've been in this series is that God has freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Moses has been used by God to lead them out of slavery, out into the um, Sinai Peninsula, uh, where they have spent some time at the foot of Mount Sinai. Um, Moses has received the law. God has been teaching the law to the people, and we've looked at laws regarding clean and unclean meat. We've looked at laws regarding sacrifices and ritual pureness. We've looked at making atonement for sin, um, dietary restrictions, and God's standards regarding human sexuality. And along the way, we have been looking at and focusing on how these laws and instructions, what they do is they show our separation from God due to sin, They reveal our need for sin to be forgiven and completely removed from us, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And all of these laws and all of these instructions ultimately point to Jesus, because Jesus would fulfill these laws, he would obey these laws, and he would reconcile us to God through his life, death, and his resurrection. And we're going to wrap up again this portion this week and next week, but this week specifically, Leviticus 19 through 21, and we're going to focus essentially just on one verse today, which is chapter 19, verse 18, but I want to give you some context of that. So in chapter 19, 20, and 21, God gives some more passages to Israel on how they would be holy and set apart from the rest of the world. He gives some more instructions for orderly worship. Uh, But there's a passage in 19 that really stands out above all the passages in the law. And we're going to start looking at verse number 9 of Leviticus 19. So Leviticus 19, verse 9. All the verses will be on the screen if you're watching from home or on your phone. And then they'll be in-house on the screens behind me. So Leviticus 19, verse 9 says, God speaking to Israel, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This is an interesting law about sowing and reaping and essentially what would later be called gleaning. And you can see how this law kind of plays itself out hundreds of years later in the book of Ruth. And so what God is telling Israel is to look out for others. Not, sorry about that. Um, not everyone has what you do. So look out for others. Let's continue verse 11 and 12. He says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Here we learn essentially, that lying is stealing the truth from others. And we learn that we are to respect God in front of others in order to not bring offense to God or to others. Let's continue to get to our main point, verse 13 and 14. He says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So God says, give people what's owed them. He says, don't do things behind people's backs. Verse 15 and 16. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in the righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So God says, treat people equally, especially when it comes to righteousness and justice in courts of law. He says, stand up for people. Don't stand against them. Stand up for them. And then finally, verse 17 and 18, he says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So he's saying, seek peace with everyone. Avoid bitterness. Do not allow bitterness to take root in your heart. So try to work out issues. And this is where we come to verse 18, which is the conclusion, really, of the entirety of the law, but also of these laws that we have just read. And we've all heard this, Christian, church, or not, Leviticus 19, verse 18, God says, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love your neighbor as you would like to be loved. Now, it doesn't say explicitly in this verse, but it does throughout the entirety of Scripture what love actually is, and and this is actually an important discussion for the world today. What does it mean to love someone? And according to Scripture, the biblical definition of love, to love someone is to care for the well-being of someone else. To love someone is to not wish them harm. That's why Jesus later would say, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. You don't have to be friends with your enemies. You don't have to be friends with everyone But we do need to allow God to do such a work in our heart that we actually don't wish harm on someone else. To love someone ultimately is to want what is best for them. And the greatest definition of love, according to Scripture, is to make a sacrifice for someone else. The Bible says this is love that Jesus gave his life for us. Ephesians says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving yourself up for her. To love is to make sacrifices for others. So this tells us, treat your neighbor like you want to be treated. So if we jump ahead to verse 33 and 34, this idea comes up again for the second time in the chapter. God tells Israel, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God tells them that your neighbor isn't just your fellow Israelite. Your neighbor is also the foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner, the immigrant, the alien that lives among you. And you shall love them. You shall love them as you love yourself. If somebody wants to hand me the handheld mic, I'll quit the, uh, the banging around. Thank you. Okay, we're good. So he says, love even the foreigner as you would love yourself. So, okay, we get the point. God, love your neighbor as yourself. What, what is our application today? What ought we to do today as followers of Jesus? And so as we fast forward in the Bible to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, in chapter 22, there is an expert of the entire law, a Pharisee. An expert in the law who knows all 600 laws that exist within the Torah. And this expert of the law asks Jesus the question, which of the 600 laws is the most important law? And in verse 37 of Matthew 22, Jesus says, here it is. Here is the most important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The most important commandment is to love God with every single thing that you have. And Jesus says, and the second most important is like the first. You didn't ask for the second, but here is the second. Jesus says the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 40, Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all of the law. All of the prophets. So we've got the law. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the prophets, all the books of poetry and wisdom, all the historical books in the Old Testament that the Jews had access to. Jesus says these two laws, the entire thing hinges on loving God and loving others. And so in Romans 13, Paul would write this in verse 10. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul says in Galatians 5, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
James, the brother of Jesus, would later call this law the royal law. He says in verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So all 600 laws in the law hinge on this royal law, loving God and loving people. We kind of looked into this some last week that John says in 1 John 1 that this is such a big deal that you actually can't truly love God unless you love people that have been made in his image. John tells us that we can't truly even love people unless we have some understanding and knowledge of God, whether we know it or not. We'll read the verse, 1 John 4. John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we learn again and again and again and again that if you put God first... And if you love your neighbor as yourself, the rest of God's requirements begin to fall into place. Because if I love God and love people, I don't want to steal from them. If I love God and I love people, I don't want to kill people. But when God is first and loving others is right behind it, the rest falls into place. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness He says, and all these things will be added to you. So it sounds so simple. Just just love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself and your life will be perfect. But there's a problem with these commandments. And the problem with these commandments is we've never been able to do that. We've never been able to actually put God first. We have never truly been able to love our neighbor as ourselves on our own accord. And that's our problem. And so because we couldn't do it, because we couldn't put God first, because we couldn't love our neighbor as ourselves, we have fallen into every kind of sin under the sun, which makes the law necessary. It makes the law necessary to point out our sin. It makes the law necessary to create guardrails to protect us from ourselves and from our sin. The fact that we can't love God with all that we have, the fact that we can't love our neighbor as ourselves, it makes the law necessary to show us our need for someone who could do it, someone who could love God with all they have, someone who truly could love their neighbor as their self. And the need for someone, that is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. And so because Jesus, the Bible says, was God, because Jesus, the Son of God, put God the Father first, because Jesus showed love for his neighbor by laying his life down for his neighbor, when we put faith in Jesus, we then find forgiveness for our failure of not loving God with all we have. When we find our forgiveness and our life in Jesus Christ, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to put God first, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and even to overcome sin. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we are given as a free gift what Jesus calls eternal life. Eternal life is the very thing that we lost when we failed to love God and to love man made in his image. And so this brings us to our our overall point and story today. This idea of eternal life. There is another expert in the law who comes up to Jesus and asks him a question about eternal life. He asks Jesus the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 10, 25. The question It is not just simply a trap. The question is actually a real question. The question is, I want to know what I need to do, as we would put it, to go to heaven. I need to know what I need to do to find eternal life. And so Jesus, classic Jesus, 
answers the question of the man with another question. How many of you would be really frustrated talking to Jesus? Jesus, I have a question for you. Let me answer your question with a question. Okay, just just answer the question. Oh, I will through many questions. And he says, okay, here's the answer. You'd like to know what to do to inherit eternal life. Well, what is written in the law? How do you read the law? You're an expert in the law. There are 600 laws in the Old Testament. How do you read them? How do you interpret them? And so the man answers Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Oh, he got it right. The most important law. Jesus has already confirmed that. The most important thing is to love God with everything you have. And the guy actually gets it extra right. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered the question correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus says, awesome. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and and you'll have everlasting life. You'll have eternal life. And it sounds nice, but we've already discussed the problem is, is that we can't do that. The guy who's asking the question cannot truly love God with all that he has and love his neighbor as himself. He needs the very man he's asking the question to, to be able to do that. And only when we put our trust in that man, only when we put our trust in Jesus, can we even begin, can we even start to love our neighbor as our self? Because loving our neighbor is just an overflow of putting our trust in Jesus Christ. Loving our neighbor is the very fruit that comes out of our faith in Jesus. And so the guy asked Jesus a question, and the guy already knows, he senses in his heart that it's not possible. He senses in his heart that he has failed miserably, that he's missing something. And so it says in verse 29, desiring to justify himself, he says this to Jesus. Okay, I'm supposed to love God with all that I have. I got it. I'm in. I have to love my neighbor just as I love myself. Good, I'm I'm, I'm down with that. I've done it. But I've got this issue, Jesus. I have this problem, Jesus. And the problem is this, is if I have to love my neighbor as myself, which I have been, then my question is, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? If I have to love my neighbor, it's important that I know who my neighbor is. And so Jesus does his annoying Jesus thing, and he doesn't answer the man's question. The man says, who do I have to love? And Jesus says, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you a story that seems completely unrelated to the question that you have just asked. And so this is what we know is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is not a historical account. It is a story that Jesus makes up to prove a point and specifically to answer this man's question with a question. And so it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The reason he's going down is because Jerusalem is at an elevation of about 3,000 feet. Jericho is an elevation of about zero or below zero feet. And so a man is going down Mount Moriah, going down in elevation, heading down into the desert of Jericho. And the man fell among robbers. And the robbers stripped him and beat him. And they departed, leaving him half dead. Now, if there is a man that is leaving Jerusalem, the epicenter of the Jewish faith, where the temple of Jerusalem resided, if a man is leaving Jerusalem and going back to Jericho, we can rightly assume that the man is himself a Jew. So a Jewish man doing a Jewish religious duty, is leaving Jerusalem and going back to Jericho. He is robbed, he is beaten, he is stripped naked, and he is left half dead. Now, if you saw someone that was left half dead to you, they would look like they were dead. 
You, you don't look at someone and say, they look half alive. You would say, they look half dead. This person appears to be dead. Verse 31, now by chance. Jesus' choice of words are always very deliberate. This is not by chance. But by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the Jewish religious man, his fellow Israelite, his brother, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So a leader in the religion of the religion of the man who was beaten and stripped naked passes by on the other side. Now, we could justify the priest's actions. Within the religion of Israel, the Israelites were to keep themselves, in particular a priest, they were to keep themselves ceremonially clean so that they could go and they could minister within the temple. And so this priest, he puts his duty of the religion above his duty to a fellow man made in the image of God. And so he has good reasons to pass because if he were to touch a dead man, he would become ritually unclean and he would not be able to perform the duties of his priesthood, but he's still in the wrong. So he passes by on the other side. Verse 32, likewise by chance, a Levite. A Levite was one who assisted the priest. The Levites were the tribe of Israel that worked at the temple. A Levite, when he came to the place, and when he saw his fellow Israelite, when he saw his fellow Jewish religious obedient man who had left the temple, who had left the city, laying on the ground naked and beaten and looking dead, he also passed by on the other side. We could justify it. The Levite, too, had duties to do within Jerusalem. The Levite, as well, was a pious, religious man trying to keep ceremonially clean. And so he is trying to do his duty. But in doing his duty, he neglected his primary duty, which was to love God and to love others made in the image of God. Verse 33, Jesus says, but a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, a Samaritan from the eyes of a first century Israelite, a Samaritan essentially was a half-breed is how they saw them. They were the lowest of the lows. They were their enemies. They were dirty in their minds. They were unclean. They did not worship God in the way that Israel saw fit. This was an enemy of Israel, someone who Israelites generally looked down on. And Jesus says the religious men passed by their brother and did not help him. However, a Samaritan, the very enemy of the person who was lying half dead on the ground, a Samaritan, when he passed by, he saw him. So the question must be asked, did the priest see the man laying on the road left for dead? Yes, because he had to pass by. Did the Levite see him? And the answer is yes, because he had to pass by. But here it says the Samaritan also saw him. And here's my problem, and here is many of our problems, is we often see, but we don't act. Most of us see, most of us fail to act. And so the Samaritan has compassion. It doesn't say the Samaritan showed pity. It doesn't say the Samaritan felt sorry for. It doesn't say the Samaritan sympathized, because to have sympathy to feel sorry for, to have pity on. That just means you look at a situation and say, oh, so sad, but instead the Samaritan has compassion. It means he actually took action. He went to the man and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Seems weird, but it's, it's, it's ointment, it's medicine. Then he set the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and then he took care of him. He stayed the night with a stranger taking care of him and treating his wounds. 
because it says the next day he took out two denarii. It's about three or four hundred dollars. Took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more that you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Well, that's a nice story. And so Jesus looks to the expert in the law. And he answers his question with a question. Which of these three men do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who showed him mercy. There's a couple things that if you don't pay close attention, you'll miss. The first thing I notice is that the expert in the law, when Jesus says, which of the three proved to be a neighbor? The expert in the law can't even bring himself to actually answer the question. He can't even say the word. Because there's actually only one answer that's appropriate. What is it? The Samaritan. Which one? Oh, the one who showed mercy. The, the expert in the law did not love the one who go, gives the law. The expert in the law was more concerned for the law than he was for the people the law was given for. The expert in the law, not only does he not truly love God with all he has, the expert in the law certainly does not love people made in God's image because he can't even say the name. He just says, the one who showed mercy. Mercy is not even the best word to use. He can't even bring himself to, to really describe what happens. He, he should have said the one who had compassion. He should have used the same word Jesus used, but he couldn't even do that. He's like, that guy did it. And Jesus says, okay, you be like the Samaritan. Be like your enemy. Be like the low life. Be like the half-breed that you look down on. Be like him. Don't be like the priest that you desire to be like. Don't be like the Levite that you desire to be like. Be like the one that you can't even say the name of, which Jesus said the name of very plainly, the Samaritan. Be like him. Go and do it. But did you notice that Jesus never answered the question? Jesus didn't answer any of his questions, actually. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's in the law? Love God with all you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Awesome. Go and do that. You'll have eternal life. Not possible. Wishing to justify himself. If I must love my neighbor, then who do I have to love Jesus? Story time. The story is over. Jesus didn't, um, Jesus not only didn't answer his question. Jesus not only answered his question with a question, but Jesus answered his question with a question that turned the question completely on its side. Jesus did not say, who is the neighbor in the story? Who was the neighbor that was loved in the story? Because if that was the question, the neighbor who was loved in the story was the Jewish man who was lying half dead on the ground. But Jesus said, who proved to be a neighbor? Not who was the neighbor, but who proved to be a good neighbor? Another way of looking at this is Jesus basically asks the question to the expert in the law, hey, expert in the law, quit asking who your neighbor is. Here's what I want you to ask instead. How can I be a good neighbor? How can I be a good neighbor? 
And so Jesus uses this offensive story about someone that this man did not love to show him that to love God meant loving even your enemy. And instead of asking who his neighbor is, he just needed to focus on how he could be a good neighbor, just like they, and this is why this is so ironic, the good Samaritan. We call it the good Samaritan because to the Jew, the Samaritans were bad. But he needed to be like the good Samaritan. So if you are the neighbor, and if you desire to be loved, especially when you're laying naked, half dead on the road, then you need to see everyone as your neighbor, and you need to show them love. Notice that the man who was lying half dead did not refuse the service of the Samaritan. Now, he may have been unconscious. He may have not been able to. But for the sake of the story, when someone offers help, you receive it. When you're desperate and you need help, you receive the help. And so who was the neighbor? The neighbor was the half-dead Israelite. But who proved to be a good neighbor? And that was the Samaritan. So how do we inherit eternal life? What must we do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? Jesus did it for us. And because of that, the only thing you and I must do is put our trust in him. And that is the beginning of loving God with all we have. When we put our trust in Jesus, who is God. When we put our trust in Jesus, who was the son of God. When we put in trust in Jesus, who took the wrath for my sin in my place from God. And when we love God and when we have been saved and transformed by Jesus Christ, it is then that we're able to love our neighbor as ourself. And because we are able to do so, we have to start doing it. And this is why the book of James, the brother of Jesus, he makes this weird statement. He says, faith without works is dead. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer, nothing. Jesus already did it. Put your trust in him. And now that your trust has been put in Jesus, start doing. But I thought there's nothing I could do to inherit eternal life. Oh, there's not. But once you've received it, out of the worship and love in your heart for Jesus, who gave it to you freely, you start doing because if you have faith, then that will produce and result in works. Jesus says a dead tree can't produce fruit, but a good tree produces good fruit. So when we love God and have been transformed by Jesus Christ, it's then we are able to actually start loving our neighbor. We start walking out and living out our faith. Well, if I'm saved already, if my faith is in Jesus, why would I want to do something like love my neighbor if I don't have to? Well, when we choose to do this, when we love our neighbor, it is the proof of the very faith we claim to have. When we choose to love our neighbor, we actually grow closer in love to God. When we choose to love our neighbor, we walk in God's blessings. And when we choose to love our neighbor, we in our life have more purpose. We have more joy. We have more fulfillment. And so we do it because it's good. And we do it because it is the very fruit of what we claim to have, which is faith. And we can't say, thank you, God, for dying for my sins in my place and giving me eternal life. And now I'm going to go hate everyone else you died for. You can't do that. It's not possible. So I'm going to leave you today just a few ideas on how you and I can love our neighbors. And I, I actually wrestled an entire day with this message of like, should I share stories in my life where I loved my neighbor? No, because I would miss the point. Instead, my mind was 
consumed with thoughts of times where I did not love my neighbor. I witnessed um, something a couple of days ago as I was minding my own business, and that was the problem. When I was minding my own business, driving through our city, I, 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 I watched someone do a poor job at loving their neighbor, and I drove off in disgust, and the Holy Spirit has the tendency to nudge me and be like, what did you do? You're looking at that man with disgust for not loving his neighbor. Why didn't you do something? So from the Good Samaritan, what can we do to love our neighbor? Don't avoid your neighbor in need. Don't avoid your neighbor in need. Don't ignore your neighbor in need. Don't pass by your neighbor in need. The Jewish man on the road to Jericho, he was, he was laying down half dead. And here's my tension, and I'll just be very transparent with you. You can't drive through a major city on the West Coast and not see hundreds upon hundreds of, we could use all the words we want to for them, but what we would call homeless people, hundreds of them. And we drive by, and like, what's the difference? And we make excuses for, well, this is why they're in this position. And I get it. We can't stop and help everybody. We can't help everybody. And hopefully if we see someone lying half dead, we would see that. That's different than this. But, but is it? Is it different? Do we, do we pass by or do we engage? Do, do we wander around and avoid and ignore? Or do we enter into conversation? And, and, and the answer for a lot of these times, I just don't know what to do. And, and so I don't come at you from a pedestal today saying, do this. I'm coming you from a pedestal today of this is what Jesus says to do. And I don't know always how to live this out. Especially in the world we live in today, it's very complicated. How do you love your neighbor? Number two, break rules if that's what it takes. Break rules to love your neighbor if that's what it takes. That's exactly what the priest should have done. He should have broke rules. It's exactly what the Levite should have done. And Jesus, he tells us that, hey, he's healing on the Sabbath. Okay, should, should I not heal people on the Sabbath because it's the Sabbath? Or should I break the rule in order to heal someone who's in need of healing? David, as he was um, fleeing from King Saul, when he was taking and he was taking uh, wheat from the fields as he was walking on the Sabbath, what, was he stealing? Was it inappropriate? No, he was hungry. You and I have to be willing to break social rules, not moral laws but to break social, even legal rules in order to help your neighbor. Number three, allow interruption. Allow interruption. God will give you an opportunity next time to do what needs to get done. Just allow yourself to be interrupted. If you read through the Gospels, the Gospels is story after story after story of people interrupting Jesus and Jesus making time for them when they interrupted him. And when he didn't make time for them, they harassed him so much that he did. Allow yourself to be interrupted. Number four, have compassion, not pity. Have compassion, not mercy. Have compassion, don't just feel bad have compassion. Compassion, it is a choice to do something. Number five, take risks. Get dirty. The guy dealt with blood. The guy bound up wounds. He could have gotten leprosy. He could have gotten this disease or this illness. He would have become this or that. It doesn't matter. Take risks. Get dirty if you have to. Number six, Give of yourself. Give of your time and your resources. This guy went way out of his way, and he spent his money in order to truly love his neighbor, which brings us to number seven. Go the extra mile. He went way out of the way. 
Go the extra mile if that's what it takes to love your neighbor. Number eight, do what's needed. Do what's needed. Don't look at the situation and think, this is what needs to be done, and then think to yourself, someone else will do it. Because what I've learned and what I'm learning in life, if I have ever thought someone else will do it, number one, no one else will, and number two, that's usually God's call for me to do something about it because someone else won't. Do what is needed. Number nine, don't abandon somebody. Hand them off. Notice that the Samaritan didn't stay an extra day with the Jewish man left half dead. Instead, he handed him off. He knew there was a limit to what he could do. So it is okay to hand people off. Don't abandon them. Don't abandon them in a situation. Don't hand them off if it's something you're supposed to do. Don't hand them off just because someone else is higher position than you or has more qualifications than you. But hand people off. Do not abandon people. And I have in my notes, some people are innkeepers and some people are Samaritans. Maybe you're the one who goes out and rescues. Or maybe you're the innkeeper that rehabilitates. Maybe you're the one that goes out to the streets, and maybe you're the one who disciples in the church. I I think we're all of those things. But there's times and seasons for all the things and all the people, and there is room in the body of Christ for all parts because we all serve. Then finally, to love your neighbor, follow up with the situation. He said, I'll come back. I'll come back. I'll check it out. I'll pay you more. So don't just abandon. Do hand off. But you need to follow up with people. To love people is to follow up with the ones that you love. And then finally, going back to the original text that Jesus is drawing from, Leviticus 19. What can we learn from Leviticus 19 about loving our neighbor? Number one, look out for other people. Not everybody has what you have. So leave some extra. Look for people that don't have what you have and see how you can bless them with what you have. Harvest and glean. Number two, give people what's owed to them. If you owe someone something, give it to them. If you owe someone something, pay them. If you owe someone something, give it back. Number three, Don't do things behind people's backs. That's why Leviticus says, don't talk bad about a deaf person and don't put something in front of a blind person that they might stumble. What that's saying is don't talk bad behind people's backs. Have integrity because to talk bad about someone behind their back is not loving them when they are your neighbor. Number four, treat people equally. Rich, doesn't matter. Poor, doesn't matter. Treat people equally equally. Everybody, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, treat people equally. Show justice. Act with righteousness. Treat people equally. And number five, stand up for people, not against them. Stand up for people. If you see someone being bullied, harassed, mistreated, stand in, step in, move in, and do something about it, especially men, Stand up and do something when something needs done. Number six, seek peace with all. Avoid bitterness. Try to resolve issues. Seek peace. Don't give opportunity for the devil to have a foothold. Don't give opportunity for sin. Don't give opportunity for bitterness to boil within you. Then I just added one more, and I'll ask the worship team to come up and close us in a song. Some of these things seem so simple and so obvious, but most of us, including myself, do not do them as we should. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And in a real-world application, when we're asking what we must do to go to heaven, Scripture reminds us again and again, Jesus already did it. 
Trust in him. And when you do, the outpouring, the overflow of your heart will be to love your neighbor. And if you don't, you need to examine your heart to see if you've truly trusted in Christ. And this is the thought I leave us with today. Ephesians 4, 15, I'll paraphrase. But Paul says, speak the truth in love. Love tells the truth. It is unloving to not tell the truth. It is, it is unloving to not be honest with the situation or with the scenario. And so many of us, if we were to act as the world acts today, and if we were the Samaritan, we would have walked up to the man who was lying naked, stripped, robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. We may have walked up to them and just offered them money, offered them food, got down on their level and whispered in their ears, there's nothing wrong with you. You're all right, man. It's going to be okay. Just, just, you just, be, you just be you there on the road. Just, just suffer. Um, you're, you're all right just where you're at. See, that's what we do in our society today. We tell people that are hurting, that are broken, that are suffering, that are lost without God, and that's all of us. You're all right just as you are. You don't need God. Trust in yourself. Rely on yourself. You're going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to get healed all on your own. In fact, you don't even need to be healed. Love tells the truth. Now, is it loving to go run through our city and scream the truth to everyone you think is delusional about the truth? Not always, no. It's not. But we are to speak the truth in love. And if we learned anything from this passage, it's that love shows compassion. Love does. Love acts. Love touches and breathes with and embraces and carries and walks alongside of. Love is the embodiment, literally, of the Spirit of God who does speak the truth even when it's difficult for the hearer to hear, but does so out of a urgency of love. Speaking the truth with the reality of heaven and hell. Speaking the truth in love with the reality of, of God and evil. You say, Pastor, that's a fine line to walk. And oh, I know, it's a very fine line to walk. So choose your battles wisely. Choose your Facebook posts and your Instagram posts and your Twitter posts and your Snapchat posts and every other thing. Choose them wisely. Are you a stumbling block for someone? Or are you an invitation to someone to encounter the truth in love? It's a fine line. And that's why Jesus says, when we follow him, it's this narrow door that we follow him through to life. So let's choose faithfully, in faith, to walk this line finally. Truth and love, truth and love. Because we show compassion, we tell the truth. We reach in and show mercy, we tell the truth. We tell the truth and we give. We tell the truth and we feed. We clothe and we tell the truth. We put people up in hotels and we speak the truth. It's both. And will some people reject the help when the truth is spoken? Yes. But don't reject helping people because people don't like the truth. You help anyways. You love anyways. You spread seed anyways because you never know what the good soil is. We go on and on and on and on. But would you bow your heads and pray?
It's Father's Day. And this starts with fathers. Why do people not love their neighbor? Why do people not love God? It starts with fathers. That's why the scripture says, teach your children in the ways they should go. So that when they are old, they will not depart from it. So if you're a father, a grandfather, an uncle, a man, a young man who younger men, who boys, who girls, who younger women, who women look up to, teach them in the ways they should go so that when they are old, they won't depart. Teach your children, teach the people in your life, men, to love God. And then let them see you loving God through you having compassion on others. That's the greatest example of teaching the truth in love, to let your kids see it. And and I understand that a huge percentage, if not a majority, did not have fathers who did that. Find someone you can follow and If you're looking for someone to follow, his name is is Jesus. Find people who follow Jesus. And as long as they're following Jesus, follow them. Let them show by example how you can love God, love people, love people, love God. It's a hard, fine line to walk. But we need fathers to show people how to do it. If you're a single mother or have, have raised your children without their father present, thank you so much for doing that. You, you do likewise. You do likewise. Teach your children to love God with all they have and to love their neighbor as themselves. And you model it. You show it. You let them follow you. God, I thank you for these, these various passages we looked at today that all come down to the same point, to love you, to love people. God, I thank you that there are those of us who have put trust in you. But God, we also admit we fail miserably, not at just loving you, but we fail miserably at loving others. So I ask in Jesus' name that you would give us faith to trust more in you, that our relationship might grow in you. And as it does, that we might out of the abundance of our heart, out of the fruit that we bear, love the people that you've put in front of us, around us, and that we're surrounded with in our cities. Spirit, I ask that you'd convict our hearts of these things and give us the strength to follow and to do. In Jesus' name.